We on? Can we yeah. Can we turn off? those uh, lights? Can we dim those down a little bit? It's a little <laughs> hot. A lot hot. Don't take off your hoodie, bud. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't have anything All right, everybody. Welcome to Hype. Can you please stand up with me? And for this specific time, aka called worship, can y'all shift forward closer to the stage, please? Compress, shift first, forward. First three rows. Thank you so much. All right. Gotta get comfortable. All right. Let's worship, guys. This is gonna be fun. Exactly what Kate just did.
Tonight, we are doing a brand new song. Um, this, was, this is a song request um, by none other than our Emmanuel Blakes up here on stage. Um, I'm super excited. You guys might know this song. It is, well, I'm just letting you figure it out. There's no space. There's no space. There is no
Now's the time where we take offering. An offering is a time where we give money to people who need it more than we do. And I just want to go ahead and pray over that, and then we'll get into the last song. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful night, Lord, where we can come here and worship you and um, hear about your message, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity that you give us called offering, Lord. Um, um, the people who need this money, Lord, more than we do, um, I just pray that it gets to them. And um, all importantly, Lord, that they know that the money is not from us. It's not, a, um, it's not from us. It's from you, Lord. It's your opportunity that you give us from you, Lord, to give the money to the people who need it more than we do so that they can buy food, medicine, water, all the things that they need, Lord. I just pray that that money gets to them, Lord, and that they know that all-important message. In your name I pray, amen. Yeah. 
Father, thank you, Lord, so much for this night. If we can come here and we can worship you, Lord, freely. Um, I just pray that the message, Lord, tonight speaks to our hearts, Lord, um, that John will share tonight. Um, I thank you, Lord, that you are the greatest of all greatest, Lords, and you are above all else, Lord. Thank you for this night, Lord. Let the message speak to our hearts. In your name I pray, amen. So uh, if you have a Bible with you tonight, uh, turn to John chapter 13. Um, this is a pretty cool passage. How many of you guys have ever heard of the story where Jesus washes his disciples' feet? Okay, so some of you. Okay, so um, I truly believe, and this is really crazy how this worked for me. So I actually had the opportunity to share uh, Sunday morning, and I got to talk about the book of Hosea with, with, with our church. And the book of Hosea is this beautiful beautiful expression and image of the love that God has for his people. And what's really cool is of all of the things that Jesus did while he was on this earth, nothing embodied the love of Christ and the humility of Christ like Jesus when he washed his, his disciples' feet and the crucifixion. Those two things, the, the, Jesus' death and resurrection, and where he washed the disciples' feet were two of the biggest displays of his love and his humility. And we see in chapter 13 that Jesus, in washing his disciples' feet, he's actually showing them the full extent of his love for them. And so hopefully you guys have kind of been paying attention. I know it's been, it's been a long series, this, this following Jesus series, what we've been talking about. But we've talked about two kind of big themes so far. Do you remember what those are? We talked about two big themes, two big practices. Praying. Yes, and I love that you added to know and love God. That's, that is so important. So we've, we've talked about prayer, and we talked about studying the scriptures to know and love God. And tonight, we will begin the kind of three-week section of this series on love. Why are we spending three weeks talking about love? For a couple reasons. The first is um, God loves us incredibly. And something that we've talked about is in everything God gives to us as followers of Jesus, we then do what with it? Once he gives it to us, once we've received it, what happens? What do we do? We give it to others, right, right. We give it to others. Everything we've received, we give away. And so we've received a great love from Jesus, and so we have the opportunity now to give it away, right? So we, we pray, we experience prayerfulness. Why? So we can help others experience prayerfulness. That's why it's important to pray for each other, out loud, with them. Yes, it's, it's great to pray in your heart just thinking about what you're praying, but there is really something special to be said to be praying out loud, out loud. So we pray so that we can pray with others. We study the scriptures to know and love God so we can help others study the scriptures to know and love God. Because in everything we do, right, in everything we do, see that, my tape fell off, I love that, um, I'm just going to leave it. I'm not even going to bother with it tonight. Um, in everything we do, well, we'll try it one more time. There we go. Hey. Otherwise, the recording will sound terrible. So that, that right there, what you guys just saw was a glimpse of my stubbornness right there in trying to fix that. So, <laughs> um, but in everything we do, we do it so that we can pass it on to others. We receive the love of Jesus so we can pass on the love of Jesus. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, I believe of anything that we talk about, of anything that we talk about, this is going to be the most difficult one for us to give away. 
of anything we talk about. So the next one after love is worship. And I think the most difficult thing for us to pass on to others is love. Why? Why? Because the love of Jesus is deep, it's penetrating, and without trusting and relying on the Holy Spirit, I can tell you it is impossible to give it away to somebody else. It's impossible. And so starting in, 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 in chapter, one, chapter 13, verse 1, um, it says this. It says, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own, his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, now, now like for us in the 21st century Western world, this sounds a little weird, right? It does. I mean, uh, Mason, if I offered to wash your feet, would that be weird? Yes, I love that. Uh, you're ticklish, yes. Um, I'm ticklish as well. But it's weird. We don't do this. It's not, it's not a cultural custom of this day. Like back in Jesus' time, they would have had no clue what a Big Mac is. We have a hard time grasping the significance of washing somebody else's feet. And this is a deep, deep expression of humility here. Now, before we look at this, I, I want you to see following Jesus through two specific lenses, right? We have inflow, okay? We have inflow and we have overflow. What do I mean by that? So we've been talking about prayer. We've been talking about studying the scriptures. We're talking about love tonight, and we're talking about uh, worship in a couple weeks. Those four things are examples of ways that we receive inflow from God. What do I mean? We experience God through prayerfulness, we experience God through studying the scriptures, we experience God through receiving his love, and we experience God through worship, okay? And worship is more than singing, and, and again, we'll get to that in a couple weeks. So that's inflow. That's inflow. And much like a cup, right, we hold our cups before the Father, and we pray that he inflows into us in such a way that it fills us, right? That it fills us. And there's this beautiful picture here of what it looks like to, to abide in Jesus, to remain in Jesus, to be connected to Jesus. But there's also this aspect of overflow that is equally as essential to the inflow. Why overflow? Because if you have a cup and you're receiving inflow from God, the moment you begin to pour your cup out is the moment what happens. Right, you, well, you stop receiving, right? And so we can, we can pour out to others, we can, but in that moment we become prideful and we stop receiving the inflow that we get from the Spirit of God. What happens with overflow is out of an expression of the time that we've spent, we've become so filled through our prayer, through studying the scriptures to know and love God, through lo the love that we've received from Christ, through worship, we become so filled that we just begin to overflow. And see, from this, this is the healthy place to share the gospel from. Why? Because you fill a cup so much, naturally, what's going to happen? If I just keep filling a cup, what's going to happen? Oh, it's overflow. It's the natural effect of me pouring into a cup without stopping. That's why you see Christians walking around who can't help but share the love of Christ. 
It's almost like reflex. You know when the doctor hammers on your knee and your foot shoots out? It is a natural effect of the love that they've experienced from Jesus. That's why this is so important. That's why in everything Jesus commands his disciples, right, he tells them to do it as well. And we'll see that here. In everything Jesus gives his disciples, he asks them to pass it on as an expression of their overflow. Their overflow. So here we see three things. I think we see love illustrated. We see love illustrated. I think we also see um, love experienced. And then we see love imitated. So say it with me. Love illustrated. Love experienced. Love imitated. Okay, the first one, love illustrated. In order for us to understand how the love is illustrated here, we have to understand the significance behind foot washing. Now, foot washing was nasty business. It was nasty business. Imagine all the streets of Eureka being covered in dust. So there's no cement, there's no concrete, it's all dirt, it's all dust. Just imagine that, picture that. And imagine the only way of transportation is the two feet connected to your legs, okay? And there weren't no Nikes around in the first century, right? Everybody wore sandals, okay? So the only way to get around is to use your feet on nasty, dirty, dusty roads. And if there was any transportation besides your feet, guess who was leading the charge? An animal. And so you can imagine walking around in dust, maybe stepping in some poo, right? We see kind of a picture of how nasty feet in the first century got. Because here's the thing, they didn't like get in the shower and get their loofah and take a shower every day. They didn't do that. The, the, the sanitation was a little different back then. They didn't shower every day. And so it was common as an act of hospitality when you would enter into a home, they would have a slave wash the feet of the guests in the house. A slave. So with everything from dust to animal poop on their feet, you see why cleaning your own feet doesn't even sound appealing, right? let alone cleaning somebody else's. That's why this was the job of a slave. Such a nasty job was only done by a slave. And again, this happens usually when they enter the home. And so Jesus, before this Passover feast happened, this is is happening at the same meal where they had the Last Supper. This is before the the, the part in the Last Supper where Jesus kind of introduces the bread and the cup and um, kind of foretells his crucifixion and talks about how Judas is gonna betray him with his disciples. This is before all that. And the first thing they do, they enter into the house. But before that, Jesus commanded his disciples to go to a place and prepare the Passover. And so the disciples were tasked to go prepare a place. In the first century, hospitality, big deal. Big deal. An example of how much of a big deal it was, if uh, we were having a wedding. So say Sarah and I were getting married. If we were having a wedding, if I did not provide enough food for everybody who attended the wedding, I could actually get sued. So hospitality, big deal, right? I could get sued. There could be a lawsuit on me if I did not practice hospitality with others. Huge deal in Eastern culture, um, taking care of your neighbor and helping your neighbor and providing for your neighbor. Um, And so Jesus' disciples were kind of tasked with the hospitality aspect of the Passover meal. And so you can imagine, right, they they all gather together, everything's ready, and so they all go into the house. And the first thing that would have happened when they entered the house is a slave would have pulled each of them aside one by one and would begin to wash their feet. There wasn't a slave there. So now you can see that the disciples have kind of fallen short 
of their job to provide hospitality for everybody. Okay, so that's the first thing we see. So they entered in the house. All of the disciples would have noticed this. This was normal to them. This is almost like when you, you know, when you go into a house and you wipe your feet off the ground and you take your shoes off, like everybody does it. And so you, you kind of notice the one dude who's goofy walking around the house with his shoes on. It was very similar. Like, like an, have you guys ever heard the expression, the elephant in the room? Right? It's kind of the thing that everybody's aware of, but nobody's talking about it. And it's usually something negative. This is kind of like an elephant in the room. Everybody noticed that there wasn't a slave to wash the feet. But nobody's saying anything about it. Why? Why? Because the disciples couldn't find it in themselves to take up such a degrading responsibility. The disciples could not see themselves doing the job of a slave. And in that moment, what do they do? They, they put themselves above the slave. They labeled their value as greater than the slave. And so the, imagine their reaction to Jesus when their rabbi stepped away from the meal, the guy who's hosting the meal, not just somebody attending the meal, but the most important person there, steps away from the meal, gets down on his knees, and begins going around the table washing his disciples' feet one by one. Because what happened is they would all sit at the table kind of like this with their feet pointed away from the table. And so Jesus was going behind them with water in a bowl, washing their feet, washing the poop and the dirt and the nastiness from their feet. This was their rabbi. This was their teacher. If there was any individual the disciples needed to serve, it was Jesus. But in this moment, we see Jesus serving his disciples. It's a great, great picture of humility. A wife may wash her husband's feet. A child may wash the feet of their parents. A disciple may wash the feet of their rabbi. These were all acts to display a level of devotion that this individual had to a person that they were serving. But it was inconceivable in this society in the first century for someone of Jesus' status to get down on his knees and serve the ones who should be serving him. Jesus, in doing so, displayed the ultimate picture of his own humility and his devotion to the disciples. You see here, love illustrated. Love illustrated. Jesus was also giving them a picture of the ultimate humiliation that he was about to display in his death. This was not only a picture of Jesus' humility in serving the disciples, it was also pointing forward to the ultimate humiliation that he was going to receive on the cross. Jesus was about to willingly lay his own life down as an act of devotion to his disciples to pay the penalty for their own sins. He's pointing to this. He's pointing to this. There are so many layers to this, this washing of the disciples' feet. The washing of their feet was a picture of this ultimate sacrifice that he was about to make. It gives us a beautiful picture of what was to come in the crucifixion and the resurrection. And here's the interesting thing. So we, so we have Jesus. You're picturing Jesus now going around the table, washing his disciples' feet individually. And something happens in verse 6. We see Peter's reaction to this. And what we know about Peter is Peter was actually Jesus' best friend. So uh, get this. Jesus had favorites. He did. He had favorites. 
If you don't believe me, read the Bible. I promise you he has favorites. Why? Because there were certain times in Jesus' ministry where he would pull aside three guys. He would pull aside three guys, and in pulling aside three guys, he would actually reveal a greater sense of his character to these three guys. Um, an example of this is Jesus actually takes uh, John, James, those two are brothers, and Peter up onto a mountain, and it says that he was transfigured before them. The fullness of the glory of God was displayed in Jesus. He actually lit up white as snow and was glowing. And they actually heard the audible voice of God endorsing Jesus' ministry. And this was only reserved for these three guys. As they came down off the mountain after this happened, Jesus told them, do not tell anybody about this until I rise again. So these three guys that Jesus was closest with were commanded to not share this with the other disciples. This wasn't because Jesus like, valued them more than anybody else. It shows us that in our life, guess what? There are just certain people that we're closer with. Jesus had this too, but his best friend was Peter. His best friend was Peter. But the interesting thing about his best friend is if you read the Gospels, Peter is the only disciple to ever say no to Jesus. And here we see an example of that. Look at verse 6. It says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then the Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. Excuse me. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he had said not everyone was clean. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, but Peter and the other disciples didn't. Jesus knew of the true cleansing he was about to give the disciples in his, in his death and resurrection. But Peter, voicing what was probably on the mind of all of the disciples, did not quite understand the depth of what was going on. To the disciples, this didn't make any sense. The great teacher and Lord was doing something no other teacher would do. It was a deep picture of the love that Jesus has for them, the full extent of it. Jesus hints here, if you saw when he was talking about a bath, did you see that? He's actually hinting at something that would happen. So uh, before Passover, um, every person who was going to participate in Passover would actually receive a ceremonial washing. Everybody say ceremonial washing. It's kind of like a glorified shower is the best way that I could put it. But what would happen is they would, so they would receive this ceremonial washing, and then what would everybody do? They would get up. I mean, they would, they, would, they would get up, and then they would go to the place where they were going to have Passover. And so you imagine as they're walking to the place where they're going to have Passover, what's happening to their feet? Right, they're getting nasty. Okay. So we have a picture of these disciples. They, they've been ceremonially cleansed. They've been prepared to eat the meal of Passover. However, their feet remain dirty. Their feet remain dirty. This is really cool. This is, what, this is actually this was a new discovery of mine as I studied this in preparation for sharing this with you. So the cereal washing would have cleansed their entire body, giving them the appearance of cleanliness, right? They, had, they, they, they took a bath. They appeared to be clean. But the most filthy and hidden aspect of their bodies had become dirty. You see, in Jewish culture, because of the dirt in the ground, 
uh, feet were seen as vile and the most disgusting part of the human body. It's actually disrespectful. If you go over to Israel, this is the same today. Feet are so defiled by the culture that if you sit like this and you point your feet at somebody, it's actually a sign of like the greatest disrespect for that person. Like that's how they see feet. That's how they see feet. So check this out. The most filthy and dirty aspect of their physical existence could not be completely cleansed by the ceremonial washing. And Jesus in washing their feet shows that only he can clean the most filthy part of us. You catching that? The most physical aspect of their human body, the most dirtiest, nastiest part of their body could not be cleansed fully by the ceremonial washing that they received. And Jesus goes behind the ceremonial washing and he completes it. And he washes the dirtiest part of every single one of his disciples. What's the picture? The picture is that the most dirtiest aspect of our human existence is our sin and only Jesus can cleanse that dirty, filthy aspect of us. And yes, I'm using very heavy language here to describe sin. Why? Because that is how God sees it. And the love here, the love here is that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is willing to clean that. The disciples were not willing to stoop to the level of a slave to clean the dirtiest part of everybody else in the room. But Jesus did it, not begrudgingly, not because he had to. He did it for the joy set before him. Because he knew it was coming. He did it as a picture of the ultimate cleansing they would receive at the cross. And Jesus, in the ultimate display of what it looks like to truly love your enemies even washes the feet of the one who would betray him. Jesus was about to be betrayed by one of his closest friends. He knew it. It says right here in the scriptures. In verse 11, it says, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean, because Jesus knew that he wasn't going to cleanse everyone's sin who was in the room because Judas would betray him. But that didn't stop Jesus from washing his feet What a display of love for your enemies. This is why I think this is the most difficult of these four things to imitate. Because it would be so hard for me to do such a loving thing to somebody who's hurt me so much. I want you to imagine how the disciples felt. The secret to understanding the depth of the Bible is to literally try to place yourself in the text, to try to empathize and sympathize with the characters, just like any good story, right? That's what we try to do to understand the story. We try to understand how the characters are feeling. Imagine how the disciples felt. Now we got the culture. We got the context. We see what's going on. Imagine how this felt to them. This wasn't just an illustration of the love Jesus had for them. They were directly and personally experiencing his love firsthand. He was washing their feet. And Jesus washed all their feet together. In John 12, 1, we see a, a, a story of a woman named Mary. This isn't Jesus' mom. This is a different Mary. Um, and she anoints Jesus with a very expensive oil called nard. It's in chapter 12. It starts in verse 1. You can read it this week. But he, she, she anoints him with an expensive oil called nard. Why is this important? This is important because back in the Old Testament, the way that they would inaugurate a king of Israel is a prophet would actually anoint and pour oil on their head. Okay? 
And so the faith of Mary's, Mary sees King Jesus. She doesn't just see Jesus as a man. She sees Messiah, and so she anoints him with this super expensive oil called nard. Now, why in the world am I talking about this? Well, I'm talking about this because they didn't shower all the time. Before Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem, this is amazing. Before Jesus even entered into the city of Jerusalem, he was anointed as king. And so for those of you who know the Easter story, how did Jesus enter into Jerusalem? He came on a donkey, right? And there were, there were palm trees waving, and people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And the entire week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, guess what he would have smelled like? He would have smelled like a king because of the expensive perfume that was poured on his head before he even entered Jerusalem. So imagine this even more. Put yourself in the, in the position of the disciples. Not only was their teacher bent down on a knee, washing their feet, but he smelled like a king. He smelled like royalty. Imagine if the president of the United States washed your feet. Now elevate the authority billions of times and imagine if the king of kings and the Lord of lords washed your feet. The king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. That's what that means. There's no greater authority than Jesus. He smelled like a king. Just his presence, just his presence caused them to think of royalty. In a society that doesn't shower like we do, this is even more powerful. Jesus would have smelled like a king all the way through his crucifixion. That's incredible. Now it kind of makes sense even more why on his, on his cross, what did Pilate put? He put king of the Jews. And Jesus smelled like a king as well. It's incredible. It's an amazing illustration of his love. And it's an amazing way that we see the experience of the disciples in experiencing his love. So as Jesus kneeled down in the ultimate act of servanthood and humility to wash the feet of disciples, the disciples would have seen this as an amazing picture of love. This is an amazing picture of our God. And the self-humiliation of Jesus is meant as a picture of the same self-humiliation he would have received in his own death on a cross, and this allows us to experience the fullness of that love. This is the love of God on us. Finally, Jesus doesn't just give them a picture and a direct experience. Jesus calls them to imitate this love. Look with me at verse 12. Verse 12 says this, and we're going to read all the way through verse 17. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Just like the disciples, we are no greater than the rabbi. We are no greater than the one who has called us and sent us out to share the good news with others. If this is true, if we're no greater than Jesus, if we're no greater than Jesus, answer me this. Why do we withhold this love from the people we interact with? Purposely. 
Why do we withhold this love? Why do, why do I withhold this same servanthood love from my wife? Why do I withhold it from my son? Why do I withhold it from you guys? Why do you withhold it from each other? You can answer it if you want. I see you raising your hand. It was, you don't have to, though. We, we, Okay. What do you mean by that? I'm not sure I understand. So what prevents us from actually doing that, you know? Right? Because, like, we might want to genuinely love others, but it's so hard. It is. It's so hard. I think, I think maybe fear might play into this a little bit. What about laziness? Maybe we're just too prideful of ourselves to not forgive our enemies. Listen, I know it's hard, but we have the supernatural power of God enabling us to do this. So we know it's not impossible. It's not impossible. So let me ask you this, and, I, and, and I'm going to close with this. What is standing in your way of offering the same self-sacrificing love and humility to the people in your life? What is standing in your way of offering the same self-sacrificing love and humility to the people in your life? My hope through this is that we would be a people that, that see the love of Jesus. I want us to see it. I want us to see his love. Because without seeing his love, we won't experience it. But I, want to, I don't want us to stop at just noticing it. Like, man, that's cool. No, no, no. I want us to genuinely experience it. Because we can see things and not experience them. So I want us to see the love of Christ. I want us to experience the love of Christ. But I think most Christians stop there. We see it. We experience it. Oh, I'm good. I got my ticket to heaven. I'm done. No, no, no. I want us to see it. I want us to experience it. And I want us to imitate it. We can't imitate it unless we first see it and experience it for ourselves. But we can't experience it until we notice it. And we'll never, we'll never be able to see it if we're too busy thinking that we know everything. Because the moment that we think we know everything about Jesus is the moment where we're hardened to the gospel. And so may God open our hearts to see Christ May he humble us in, the, in a similar way that Jesus humbled himself in the washing of his disciples' feet. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the examples, the multitude and plethora of examples that you give us in Scripture of your love, of your goodness, of your kindness. Lord God, I'm so thankful that when the disciples did not want to stoop to the level of a slave, you did. Lord God, in embodying the great humility that it took for you to endure the cross and to go to the cross, Lord God, I'm thankful that you gave us a, a picture and an image of that in the washing of your disciples' feet. I thank you that you've challenged us to wash one another's feet. I'm reminded of the passages in Scripture that tell us that the world will know that we're your disciples if we love one another. Lord God, help us to love one another. 
especially those who also love Jesus. There should be a special bond in our lives with other people who love you faithfully, and I pray against any bitterness that we may have toward one another, even in this room. Lord God, that if there's bitterness in our hearts towards somebody else sitting across an aisle or next to us, God, that you would free us from that, that we would forgive each other, that we would love each other faithfully, but most of all, that our love would do nothing but point to you and your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.